All rise. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. American Council of the Blind District Court is now in session. The Honorable Charles Navarrete presiding. May God save the United States and this honorable court. Be seated, please. Welcome. We're here today for um, the trial of Chris Bell versus Nanotech. Uh, you will be the jury for this trial. Before we begin the, the, the testimony, I'd like to t remind you that the statements and arguments of the attorneys for both sides are not testimony, uh, and you will make your decision solely on the basis of the testimony and evidence presented at this trial. Mr. Mendelson, uh, who's the plaintiff attorney, please identify yourself and the parties you're representing. Good afternoon. My name is Stephen Mendelson. I am counsel for the plaintiff, Chris Bell, and I am representing Mr. Bell in this employment discrimination action against Nanotech Corporation. Will the defendant attorney introduce himself and, and the and your witnesses? Thank you, your, thank you, Your Honor. My name is Chris Prentice, and I represent Nanotech, and Nanotech is, is represented today by its CEO, Mr. Jim Crott, and Supervisor Stephen Blow. We also have an expert witness, Dave Adams. All right, Mr. Mendelson, do you have an opening statement? Yes, Your Honor, thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, thank you for being here today. Uh, we will also have two witnesses. We will have Mr. Bell himself, uh, who uh, in a certain sense knows as much or more about this case as anyone since it revolves around him. And we will have a forensic accountant, uh, Mr. Fogel, who will talk to the financial resources of the company in relation to its claim that granting what we believe to be a reasonable accommodation that Mr. Bell needs to, in order to continue to do his job uh, is, in fact, not a financial hardship, an undue hardship to the company. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this case as we see it. We believe this is a case of employment discrimination under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Mr. Bell was a longtime successful, successful employee of Nanotech, doing high-level work and being paid a very good salary, which he earned uh, and deserved. Uh, as we will test, show from the testimony, Mr. Bell had a very good record and was highly regarded by his company. Then something happened. Mr. Bell began to lose his sight and in due course lost his sight entirely. When Mr. Bell wanted to continue to work, he sought and received rehabilitation training so that he could adjust to life and work more effectively as a blind person. He succeeded remarkably well in that and was able to return to his job within a period of only 12 weeks. Not only did he adjust psychologically and emotionally to the devastating changes in his life brought about by blindness, uh, but he also learned about assistive technology that would help him to do his job. And he was able to make recommendations to his employer for the kind of technology that he would need in order to continue doing his job as he had done it before. 
that is, at the same level of quality and at the same level of volume. Unfortunately, the technology that he had placed so much faith in did not prove adequate. And as we will see from the testimony, uh, it became necessary to consider other options, other accommodations that might enable him to continue his work satisfactorily. His company was willing up to a point to make some accommodations, didn't, we will show, think through carefully what those might be, uh, and eventually refused the accommodation of a skilled reader, which would have enabled, we believe, Mr. Bell to continue doing his job. We're going to try to show uh, that the company's refusal uh, was based on claims of economic hardship, which given its nature and size and growth are unjustified, uh, and that the sole reason in the end that Mr. Bell was fired, and make no mistake, he was fired, that the sole reason for that was his blindness. Now, this case, yes, of course, is about Chris Bell, and it's about nanotech, but it's actually about a lot more. We live in a country where a good part of the workforce is aging, and many companies are called upon to decide how they're going to deal with veterans, skilled, valued employees who incur disabilities, mine is being a primary example of that situation. And companies have three ways to react. They can react with total hard-heartedness, they can react uh, with an expansive attempt to include the employee to make the situation work and to bring about continued success, or they can, as we believe this company has done, respond with a grudging adherence to the letter of the law, perhaps, but certainly not to its spirit. So what this case involves, ultimately, and for you to decide ultimately by your verdict today, is what American industry is going to do with its aging workforce. It involves much more than Mr. Bell. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, Mr. Middleson. Mr. Uh, Prentice, did you have an opening statement? Opening microphone here. <laughs> Thank you, Your Honor. Um, you've heard the opening statement of Mr. Mendelson, and you understand you understand the, the point from which they come. Nanotechnologies is a fairly young company. We are still growing, and we seek to hire the best, and we seek to keep the best, and we do. Have a, uh, our company, my client, has a deep understanding and appreciation for the Americans with Disabilities Act and for employees with disabilities. And Mr. Bell was, was an employee of our company and, and did a fine job for a time. What, what you must understand, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is, as you listen to the evidence today is that not every accommodation is reasonable. And companies have a duty to, to provide reasonable accommodations, but there are also responsibilities for employees who are requesting accommodations. We believe the evidence will show that Mr. Bell made some requests, some were reasonable, some were not so reasonable. And timeliness is critical as well. And we believe the evidence will show that nanotechnologies followed the law, both the black letter portion of the law as well as the spirit of the law. Nanotechnologies wants to be a successful company. And nanotechnologies will do 
what is necessary to follow the law and to be a good citizen within the community as it moves forward. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Prentice. Mr. Mendelson, you may call your first witness. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, plaintiff calls Chris Bell to the stand. Raise your right hand, place your left hand on the Bible. Do you solemnly swear or affirm that the testimony you're about to give is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. I hope you can hear both of us. We have only one mic and we have to share, so I apologize. Okay. Pass it to me. Yes, that's good. Okay. Uh, Mr. Bell, thank you very much. Uh, I want to ask you uh, about your background, particularly, of course, your background working with nanotech. Uh, when did you begin working for Nanotech? Uh, I began uh, working for Nanotech in uh, in 2000, and let's see, when was it exactly? Um, they fired me in 2016. I worked for them for 2011 um, is uh, when I started. Thank you. And, and Mr. Bell, uh, have you had occasion, uh, I have here in my hand as an exhibit, a copy of your personnel file from Nanotech. Have you had an opportunity to review this file? Uh, yes, I have, uh, Council. And, I correct in, and am I correct in saying that, this, that the uh, summary prepared by the, uh, by the company of this file indicates that in its view, up until the time of your loss of sight and uh, your return to work, uh, you were a very successful uh, and indeed an exemplary employee. Yes, actually, uh, uh, my title uh, before I got glaucoma and lost my sight was uh, a senior manager of client relations. I made a base salary of $200,000 a year and was eligible uh, based on uh, new client acquisitions for up to a $50,000 bonus. So obviously, uh, since I had worked there for all that time and they paid me a lot of money, I was doing a good job. Okay, but Mr. Bell, at some point, uh, some things began to change. Uh, tell us when you first began to experience vision loss and how long, how long it took for that vision loss to resolve itself by degrees into total blindness. Well, I <clears throat> Glaucoma is uh, an eye disease of a reduction in uh, field of vision. And uh, I didn't really realize I had glaucoma for a long time. And I went to an ophthalmologist in, uh, I guess it was 2010 or so, and, and he diagnosed me with having glaucoma. And unfortunately, it uh, had progressed. I didn't really notice the the loss of the field that much. Um, but uh, it wasn't anything that uh, he could do uh, at that point. Uh, so over a couple of years, uh, uh, I finally got to, I had uh, <coughs> no uh, vision as a, as a result of that. And that was in, uh, that was in around the beginning of, uh, 2016, which is the same year I was fired. So 
Sir, Mr. Bell, uh, after the point when your vision was substantially reduced or indeed uh, extinguished, uh, it became clear to you, did it, that you, did it become clear to you and did it become clear to your employer that you could not continue working in exactly as you had done before? Yes, my, my, uh, my job as uh, <clears throat> senior uh, manager of client relations uh, involved my having to review, uh, among other things, all incoming uh, correspondence and calls from clients as well as prospective clients. And uh, to review that correspondence, which was uh, highly technical. I have um, a master's degree in nanotechnology and an all but dissertation in uh, nanotechnology engineering. Um, so I had to review uh, these, uh, this correspondence and these documents, and uh, they were quite scientific. They had uh, uh, formula, uh, patent information, uh, they had uh, uh, spreadsheets and all kinds of uh, technical details. And uh, for a while, uh, I could uh, still uh, uh, do that work in a timely manner. So I had, to, I had a both a, a timely a time response to do the production of the work and and also a requirement for meeting the quantity. That is to say, uh, things came in from clients and prospective clients, and we had to turn them around and, and get back to these people. And I could do that for a while, but once uh, once I essentially lost my central vision, uh, I knew that I couldn't do it any longer, and uh, I spoke to my uh, my supervisor and told them that I needed. You are going to object uh, narrative, but we'd ask that the question be done in question answer format. Well, it's preliminary to the actual issue, so they may continue may, may continue that matter until they get to the point where um, further on. It's Thank overruled. You. Okay. you may so, continue, Mr. All right. Uh, Mr. Bell, did you and your employer uh, come to the point of agreeing that you should take leave under the Family and Medical Leave Act in order to obtain rehabilitation training? Uh, yeah, I don't really know anything. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know anything about Family and Medical Leave Act, but uh, um, there were some forms that uh, had my uh, ophthalmologist fill out and, and I took leave and contacted the state services uh, for the blind to get uh, rehab as quickly as possible because I wanted to get back to work. I didn't want to be sitting at home uh, listening to TV commercials. And Mr. Bell, you returned to, to work uh, after about 12 weeks, is that correct? Uh, yes, that is correct. Uh, uh, 12 weeks of leave. Uh, uh, I learned some basic orientation and mobility skills. Uh, I learned uh, a little uh, a little braille um, and uh, how to use uh, the screen reader called JAWS. Um, I also uh, learned how to use an optical character reader and to scan documents and uh, have my computer read them out loud. Um, and uh, so you know, I needed those things uh, in order to return to work. And so I requested, uh, I requested in particular uh, the JAWS software, uh, open book software, uh, and a flatbook scanner, and an, an adequate uh, computer uh, to uh, run uh, that software. Um, 
Mr. Mendelson, why don't you uh, ask him who he uh, asked for those accommodations from? Uh, Your Honor, he's already stated that he that he got them under the auspices of the State Services of the Blind. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, but yes, I was going to ask. Anyway, what I was going to ask him though was, uh, when you return to work, uh, you return to work with some or all of these devices that you just mentioned. Yes, I contacted my supervisor. I told him what I needed, and uh, he was very, uh, uh, if I can use the term, accommodating. Uh, and uh, so he uh, had the IT department uh, purchase the uh, hardware and software, and but he did, of course, tell me that it cost the firm $5,000, so I was supposed to feel really thankful about that, I guess. Um, and uh, But when I returned to work, uh, that, that hardware and software had been installed by our IT department and was, uh, was waiting for me. Uh, Mr. Bell, uh, uh Based on uh, what you knew and on your training, you had every reason to believe and much reason to hope that the technology would facilitate uh, your continued performance of your job, correct? I, I did, although I, on hindsight, you know, uh, we never really did any kind of trial run at work in the sense of making sure that all the technology worked and, and could read everything that would cross my desk. So it was sort of like, okay, here's your equipment and here's the software, go to it. Um, so I was, uh, I, I really, I, I didn't realize the limitations of the software and hardware because that's not something that they did in rehab. You know, like they taught me how to use JAWS and how to use a scanner and, you know, we, they, we scanned a newspaper article or some document or other and that, you know, that was fine. But it wasn't like the stuff that I really had to do on the job. Mr. Bell, if, if uh, your employer had requested that an outside uh, entity be brought in to conduct uh, a further job analysis, would you object have objected to that? Of course not. I would have been <coughs> happy to uh, participate in anything that would allow me to get back to earn my six-figure salary. You betcha. So you got back to work. Uh, and uh, things did not work out exactly as you planned. Tell us what problems you noticed. Stick to the. Yeah, so uh, uh, when I returned to work, um, I discovered that, you know, JAWS worked good for about 50% of the stuff that. Uh, came over my desk, but um, there were some things that JAWS had difficulty with. And <coughs> that included uh, pronunciation of uh, chemical formulae and uh, scientific notation. Uh, it included difficulty reading uh, spreadsheets uh, and uh, graphs uh, and, uh, you know, it, it could scan a photograph, but obviously it wasn't going to be able to tell me what was in the photograph. So um, in the first week, I figured I could do about, uh, I could read about half of the material that, that uh, I had to <coughs> and respond to that appropriately. But uh, there was about half of it uh, that could be half of the correspondence into, from a particular client that got into these uh, spreadsheet and other areas, or it could have been 
you know, a, a whole bit of correspondence from a particular client. But the bottom line was, <coughs> I, I, JAWS wouldn't, and the scanner wouldn't uh, enable me to do uh, all of it that uh, came across my desk. I only could do about 50% of it, which I knew, uh, you know, wasn't good enough. Uh, excuse me. If I could ask a member of the jury and audience to put their phones on the silent mode, that would be helpful. Thank you. Mr. Mendelson. So, Mr. Bell, uh, I assume that uh, you and your supervisor became aware of these problems at about the same time? Objection. Leading the witness. Uh, uh, Sustained. You can rephrase that, Mr. Mendelson. Mr. Mr. Bell, uh, did your supervisor and yourself discuss these matters uh, at a time close to your recognition of their existence? Yeah, I mean, in the first week when I realized uh, uh, that I was having this problem, I went to my supervisor um, and said, you know, I didn't realize, but I really need a reader uh, to read those things that JAWS cannot read or cannot read in a way that I can understand them. And uh, so, yeah, in the first week, I, I went to him and talked to him, and he, he recognized I was having problems, um, and I made the request for a reader. And what was the company's response to that request? Well, initially, my uh, supervisor uh, was pretty cool to the idea. He said, you know, he, he could appreciate my problems and he wanted to help, but he, he didn't really want to hire another person to have two people do one person's job. And uh, so he wanted me to, uh, <clears throat> you know, see whether I could make it work. Uh, and I tried for the next two weeks to make it work, but, uh, well, it didn't work out. Uh, the way my supervisor had hoped. So tell us what happened next. Well, my supervisor came in after I was on the job for two weeks and, and, and yelled at me for, for not keeping up with my work, which really pissed me off. Mr. Um, Bell, please me? refrain from using that type of vulgar language. <clears throat> All right, it really ticked me off. Um, uh, because he, you know, he, he knew what was going on, uh, but uh, somehow he, he, it's like, it's like he, he acted like I got the, the job on, on false pretenses, that I'd asked for JAWS in, this, in the uh, uh, flatbed scanner and open book and whatnot, uh, and then was kind of not asking for what I really needed, which was the reader, until I'd gotten the, I'd come back to work. So it was like I, I was pulling something, pulling a trick on him. And he was really, uh, he was really pretty ticked off. Uh, he was, he was sort of passive aggressive about it, you know. He kind of grumble, and I really didn't. At that point, I started not to like the person, uh, and uh, it got worse as uh, as time went on, uh, making little snide comments and and kind of laughing at me behind my back and all that kind of stuff. And comments about, ah, you know, can't can't have these. Cripple people coming in back to work. Objection, Your Honor. Non-responsive to the question. Sustained. Mr. Mendelson, please ask your witness a question. Mr. Bell, Honor, at some Your point. Your I'd also ask that the court instruct the jury to disregard the, the last statements made by the plaintiff. 
Yes, please disregard the statements regarding uh, the supervisor's reaction. It was conclusion by the witness and uh, did not consider that as admissible evidence. Mr. Bell, at some point though, the company did agree to hire a reader, is that correct? Well, they agreed to hire a reader, they just hired somebody that couldn't read. Please keep decorum in the audience. Were you given any input into the selection of the person they hired? Were you given a chance to interview the person or evaluate the person's skills before they were hired? No, it's like on Monday, you know, one Monday this jerk shows up. And uh, uh, I found out they were paying him 12 bucks an hour. And you know, you get what you pay for. Uh, so. Uh, I was willing to give him a give him a shot, but uh, I don't know whether he didn't finish high school or what the deal was. But you know, reading chemical formulae and uh, and scientific notation uh, and uh, charts and graphs were just you know <laughs> he'd never seen that stuff before and he didn't know how to read it. And so uh, I mean, it's one of those things where you know if somebody's going to read stuff, do you? you have to read it in a way that it's understandable? and the way it's intended to be read, and this guy was useless from that perspective. Did you have any conversations with your supervisor regarding how well or poorly uh, this individual was working out? Well, initially, you know, I, I, I kind of felt bad uh, because I knew that they really, you know, hired this guy really reluctantly, and I knew the supervisor was not happy with me and objection speculation uh, sustained well the supervisor made it known to me well, Mr. that Bell, he was let, not let, happy excuse me Mr. Bell yes. let your uh, I've sustained the objection your counsel may ask additional questions all right at a certain point Mr. Bell did you go to your supervisor uh, with a new or additional request? Yes, after, after he had complained about my quantity of, uh, of work, um, I, you know, and then, and then the, we, we had this new, new guy that couldn't read what I had to read, I went to him and I said, look, you know, I don't know where you found this guy, um, but obviously uh, he's not qualified and I need you to hire uh, somebody that can read this stuff, and as near as I can figure, that means you need to hire a graduate student in nanotechnology, because that person would understand the terminology, understand the formula, be able to look at the photograph and tell me what, what was in the photograph and all that other stuff. But clearly, you can't just pay some dude 12 bucks an hour uh, who didn't have that education and expect him to, uh, to come in and be a reader. And Mr. Bell, what did your supervisor say when you made this request? Well, he was, uh, he wasn't a happy camper. He said, I were, we already hired you a reader. You wanted a reader? You didn't tell me you wanted a reader initially. You know, we, we got you the JAWS, and we got you the, the scanner and everything, and you never said anything about a reader. And now, all of a sudden, boom, you, you want a reader, and we, you know, we didn't really want to do it, but you kind of forced us to, and now we hired you a reader, and now you tell me that's no good. So uh, he said, I'm going to have to take it up with the owner of the company, and I'll get back to you. And Mr. Bell, subsequent to that, 
uh, between that time and the time of your firing, did you ever personally talk to the owner of the company? No, I, I didn't talk to the owner uh, personally. I was relating uh, to my uh, to the manager to whom I reported. So how long uh, after this uh, conversation were you uh, dismissed? Well, uh, I was dismissed <clears throat> uh, the, the very next week. I uh, was told by my supervisor that, uh, uh, you know, they checked it out. And they'd have to hire somebody for 40 bucks an hour. And, uh, you know, they, <laughs> they weren't going to pay uh, two people, uh, you know, my salary and, and this other uh, person's salary. It was just unduly burdensome on the com company, and obviously uh, uh, I couldn't do the work, so they let me go. And, Mr. Bell, did they give uh, a, a, any additional grounds or make any additional allegations regarding the reasons for your dismissal, or was that solely what you were told? Well, I, I you know, <clears throat> I, that was solely what I was told. They said something about an undue hardship. And, uh, you know, they said uh, they were sorry, things didn't work out, uh, and that I was a good guy and it wasn't all my fault, but, uh, you know, they had to have uh, somebody that could do the whole job, and I couldn't do the whole job. Thank you. Uh, 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 do you know, Mr. Bell, whether or not uh, someone has been hired to replace you in your position? Yeah, sure. I had friends in the company, and I, I, I checked on it, and they, you know, they hired a sighted person uh, to, uh, to replace me. Uh, so they went from having one disabled person on the, on, in their workforce, and they went to, they went to zero. Uh, and that was that. At least they didn't fight my uh, request for unemployment compensation, so I, I, I appreciated that. But otherwise, I felt like they were making, uh, they, had, they had enough money to hire that uh, uh, educated uh, reader, and I could Objection, have done the job. Objection, speculation. Overruled. Thank you, Mr. Bell. Uh, no further questions this time, of course. Uh, we reserve the right uh, uh, to uh, uh, do re redirect examination as appropriate. Of course. Mr. Prentice, did you have any questions on cross-examination? Yes, Your Honor. Thank you. Mr. Bell, if you don't understand one of my questions, just let me know and I will rephrase it. Is that all right? Yes, sir. Now, first of all, you, you said that you worked for Nanotech for five years prior to your separation from employment. Is that correct? That, that's correct. Five years and a, and a couple of months during this uh, time after I returned to work. Okay. And you testified that once you went through rehab, you requested Nanotech to purchase assistive technology for you, uh, including a new computer, software, and uh, hardware uh, to assist you to do your job. Is that correct? That is correct. And your testimony was that they, they purchased everything that you requested. Is that correct? That is correct. Now, you also testified that the job that you came back to was the same job that you had before you lost your vision. Is that correct? Yes. So since you did this work on a daily basis, I, I dare say at least 40 hours a week, would that be accurate to say? Oh, more than that. Okay. 
And so you looked at the same paperwork every day, every week for five years before you went out on leave uh, for rehab. Is that correct? That is correct. So you were keenly aware during those five years of spreadsheets, correspondence, handwritten uh, information in the documentation that you've received, as well as photographs, correct? Yes. And you knew from your training at VR that JAWS didn't no, read handwriting very well. Isn't that true? Objection. There's, there's no basis for the, for the inference. Uh, no foundation has been laid for the inference that Mr. Bell should have known that the technology acquired would not be sufficient to read the materials that he needed to read. Yeah, no one has claimed that Mr. Bell is an expert in assistive technology. Um, overruled. You may answer as best you can, Mr. Bell. Can you repeat the question? The question was, you learned, you knew from your training in, uh, when you were being trained on JAWS that it had difficulty reading handwritten material. Isn't that true? No, because they never, uh, I mean, look, uh, I'd lost my sight, I was upset, uh, you know, the voc rehab people said, oh, we got this, uh, you know, we got this screen reader thing and, and, uh, and this uh, scanner stuff, and, you know, they'd scan some stuff they had, but it's not like I had access uh, to the confidential uh, papers that I would actually have to use. Nobody tested me or, or uh, tried at, in rehab uh, the, the uh, JAWS or the uh, optical character reader on the actual stuff I had to do. I, and so I just, I just, I went along with what they told me. I don't know. I'm not a professional assistive technology person. Uh, if they said this, is, this would help me, and so I believed them. I mean, what else was I supposed to do? Mr. Bell, were you trained in VR on how to use JAWS and the, and the flatbed scanner with OpenBook? Yes, I was. And did they, did your instructor tell you that the scanner and the OCR would handle certain documents better than other documents? No, he did not. Did you notice any difficulties when you were being trained with uh, the scanner and, and, and the open book that there were some things that read better than others? No, really, I read everything that, uh, that the rehab person uh, gave to me it by way of demonstrating what the software and the hardware could do. It, didn't, it, it never had a problem. I was really impressed. Now, you knew what kind of documentation you were going to have to read once you returned to work, didn't you? Yes. And you knew, you knew how much there was to cover and how much work you'd need to do. Isn't that true? Yes. So you took it upon yourself. You assumed that just some assistive technology would be plenty for you to, to be able to jump back in and run at full speed. Isn't that true? Your Honor, I object. On what basis? Uh, on the basis, on two bases. Number one, uh, the witness is being badgered. Number two, the questions are leading, actually, on three bases. And number three, the question presupposes that some foundation for Mr. Bell's expertise has been laid. Uh, he is not an expert witness, and no such foundation has been laid. Overruled. Mr. Bell? Yes. Do you have an answer? Repeat the question. 
Mr. Bell, you assumed upon your return to work that with the assistive technology that was purchased for you, that you would be able to assume your duties and, and perform at the same level that you were at uh, prior to leaving on FMLA. Isn't that true? No, sir. I made no such assumption. And you knew within the first couple of days that the scanner and the screen reader and as well as the, the other equipment was insufficient for you to perform the essential functions of your job, didn't you? Yeah, and I was ticked off and scared. I thought it would work. And so you immediately contacted your supervisor and said, I need more, didn't you? I contacted my supervisor and asked for a reader. Okay, back up. You did that immediately, didn't you? Yeah, within the first uh, day or two or three days while I was getting used to the equipment and seeing what came across my desk. Yeah, I had a couple of days in there I was trying to work it out. Actually, no, Mr. Bell, your testimony upon direct examination was that you waited a week. Do you recall that you said that? I, I waited some time, uh, you know, during my first week. Objection. What's your objection, sir? The distinction between two or three days and a week uh, is trivial, and the question is asked only to appear to create uh, a credibility problem that does not exist. Your well, Honor, I, I would object me. to his objection. It's not timely. The okay, well, be answered. in any event, that is the type of question for the jury to uh, decide whether it's a material misstatement or trivial. So objections overruled. Thank you, Your Honor. Now, Mr. Bell, once, once, did you go to your supervisor first saying you needed a reader, or did the supervisor come to you first and note a, a sizable downscaling of your quantity of work? Which happened first? No, I went, to, I, I went immediately to my, uh, to my supervisor and asked for a reader, and he said no. He wasn't going to hire two people to do one person's job. Now, Mr. Bell, you just testified that you waited a week, and now you're saying it's immediately. Which is it? It was immediately after I made the request. He immediately turned me down. No, no, I'm talking about how quickly you, you, never mind. Okay. Good so choice. Once, once you, once you requested, once you requested a reader, was one sub subsequently provided to you? Uh, after a few weeks, probably two weeks, when, uh, I wasn't meeting the production quota. My supervisor came to me and uh, and said, "You know, I, I wasn't wasn't doing the job." And I said, "Well, yeah, I asked you for a reader, and you wouldn't give me one." And uh, so he said he had talked to the boss and <coughs> his boss, and uh, uh, you know, boss spelled backwards is double S O B. Um, and. Uh, <coughs> Mr. Your Bell, Honor, I object. I object. It's it's this is non-responsive at this point. Yeah, Mr. Bell, just try to answer the question and don't um, add uh, the characterizations that you did that seem to indicate a vulgar type of. Opinion. I don't know. I thought most bosses were like that. I'm sorry, Your Mr. Honor. Mr. Bell, yeah, just answer the questions. Yeah. So uh, uh, he said he have to, you know, take it up with uh, with the the owner of the company. 
uh, whether or not there was anything I could do uh, by way of hiring me a reader, and he'd get back to me as uh, soon as he could. Okay, Mr. Bell, was a reader hired? Yeah, there was this guy named Tony that they hired. And I'm not sure how much education Tony had actually Your Honor had. Object, non responsive? That was no. responsive. Uh, Mr. Bell, don't argue with Mr. Prentice. Just answer a question. I'm going yes, to. Yes, he hired a reader. Excuse me. All right. Damn fool couldn't read. But other than that, he uh, hired Mr. a reader. Mr. Bell, just answer the questions. Stop adding the editorials. Well, it's true. He couldn't yes, read. Mr. Bell, wait for the question. Mr. Bell, even with the reader, your production did not increase, did it? Council, I already told you the man couldn't read what I yes. had to read, so of course it didn't improve. <laughs> Mr. Bell, do you believe that uh, any request for accommodation that you make should be granted by by your employer? Don't object. That's all the speculation of the regular sort. Uh, yeah, don't editorialize either. Um, sustained. Mr. Prentice? Thank you, Your Honor. I'll pass the witness. No further questions. All right, any redirect, Mr. Middleton? Mr. Bell. Uh, if you had known when you returned to work that the technology uh, that had been purchased for you would not suffice to meet your needs, uh, what would you have done? Your Honor, object speculation. Uh, sustained. Mr. Bell, uh, you requested a reader after determining that the technology would not meet your needs. Your Honor, objection leading. Overruled. Yes. As, as soon as I determined that, I had to, you know, give it a shot for a couple of days to get used to JAWS and, and, and open book and whatnot and to see what they could do and not do. But yeah, as soon as I realized <clears throat> that I was really screwed, uh, I, I went and requested a reader. And Mr. Bell, as a as general matter, is it fair to say this entire process has put you under a, a high degree of emotional strain? Your Honor, objection, relevance. Uh, sustained. It's not a trial for damages. No, Your Honor, the purpose of the question was to indicate... Oh, sustained. You may ask another question. Mr. Bell, uh, what are you doing now? Do you have employment, or how do you spend your time, your days? Well, uh... Your Honor, objection, relevance. Sustained. Mr. Bell, you, uh, in your encounters with your supervisor, you quoted some of the things that he said. Did he shout at you? Yeah, he did. Uh, <coughs> the second time when he, when he came to me, after I'd asked for a reader, he turned me down, and then, you know, I, was kinda, I just tried to do as well as I could for, for two weeks, and that's when he came in and yelled at me and said, we, you know, we spent $5,000 on all this equipment and software that you asked for, and, and now you can't do the job. It was a waste of money. And that's when I, that's when I, you know, that's when I asked for the reader, and uh, 
you know, it, it really ticked them off. Mr. Bell, so far as you can recall, in your interactions with your supervisor, were you uh, courteous and respectful? Of course I was courteous and respectful. What do you think? And, and, and Mr. Bell, do, do you believe, do you believe, based on your professional experience, that if you had had what you considered a suitable reader, you could have continued to perform the job at the necessary level of quality and quantity? Your Honor, objection, speculation. Overruled. Mr. Bell? Yes, I believe that if I had a reader who is sufficiently educated and knowledgeable about nanotechnology to read the technical specifications that I was required to review and pass to the appropriate person, absolutely, I believe I could have done the job. I don't think there was a, I didn't have any question about it. And Mr. Mr. Bell, uh, you were a, a long-term employee of nanotechnology. Did you have any uh, uh, vestiture of uh, potential, potential stock ownership or uh, uh, ESOPs or uh, other financial involvement with the company other than your salary? No, sir. Relevant. Well, it should have been asked in the, in the case in chief, but I'll allow it. Overruled. Okay. Well, I have I have no further questions at this time. Thank well, you. Well, you very want much. your, you want an answer or not, Mr. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said that. You, um, pardon. No. Yes, I do want an answer. He doesn't have a choice. The, the answer is no. I had, no, <coughs> I just had, uh, you know, health and life insurance. That's all I had. All right. Any further questions, of Mr. Mendelson? Any recross, Mr. Pennis? Yes, Your Honor. Mr. Bell, you stated a few moments ago that you. Uh, maintained a professional and courteous attitude with your supervisor throughout this process. Was, was that similar to the attitude that you've had here today in court? Excuse me. Um, yeah, I'm going to sustain the objection because uh, the jury can decide about his demeanor. Now, Mr. Uh, Bell, you, you stated earlier in direct testimony that you were making six figures, uh, 200 to 250,000 a year over the five years that you worked for Nanotech. Is that correct? That is correct. And so when you requested that they hire a reader that was a grad student that was, w would have been at the rate of $40 an hour, did you offer to help pay for that? Did I offer to help pay for that? Yes. Well, no, that's the... <laughs> A disabled employee doesn't have to pay for their own accommodation. How bad did you want to keep your job? Excuse me? <laughs> I wanted to keep my job, but, you know, if, the, if this uh, law called the Americans with Disabilities Act or whatever the hell it was uh, that I didn't know much about, but if, I would, if it entitled me to an accommodation, I don't see why I should have had to pay for it. The, the employer's obligation. Okay, that, that was my question was, did you offer to help pay for it to help since they said No, I did not. Um, he's answered it, and it, it's, it's not uh, overruled. I have no further questions of the witness, Your Honor. All right, anything further from Mr. Bell, Mr. Middleson? Yes, I do. Mr. Bell, at any time, did the company speak to you regarding the possibilities of reassignment to a different job or uh, other modifications 
uh, of the job itself? No, they never offered me any other uh, employment option. And, and, you know, frankly, I'd recently heard of this thing called IRA, which I think would have enabled me to do the job without costing as much money as a graduate level uh, reader. But, you know, the, the company wasn't, it was like, it was like they said, okay, we've done enough, we've tried, and, you know, sorry, uh, don't let the door hit you on the butt when you leave. And uh, to your knowledge, sir, do there exist within the company other positions which pay a, a comparable uh, remuneration and for which your qualification and experience would have fitted you? Your Honor, object relevance? Highly relevant. It's highly relevant to the question wait, of... Wait, 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 Mr. Mendelson, for the ruling. Um, I'll, I'll overrule the obje objection. The answer to your question is no. I didn't know what vacancies we had. The company was was growing, and uh, they recently uh, uh, bought out a competing firm. So, But I, I, I didn't have access to HR. I didn't know what jobs they had. Any re-recross? But I would say, Your Honor, if they had a job, well, wait that a I was Mr. Bell, Mr. I would Bell, just wait for Mr. Prentice to ask you questions. You're not authorized to speak on without a question. All right, Mr. Bell. I thought this Prentice. was my, my case, but anyway. Well, you have to adhere to the rules of the court, too, Mr. Bell. All right, Mr. Prentice. No further questions. All right. Mr. Mendelson, did you have any other witnesses? We do, Your Honor. Please call your next witness. We will call uh, uh, Alter S. Fogel, uh, our expert witness, forensic accountant. I believe that the plaintiff and defense have both stipulated to the expert qualifications of our respective uh, economic analysts. Is that uh, so we will not Mr. go. Prentice? So stipulated, Your Honor. So we will Thank not you. go over uh, either Mr. Fogel's or the defense. Uh, accountant's uh, credentials as forensic accountant. Well, it was stipulated, Mr. Mendelson. Exactly. I'm All right, we'll have Mr. We Fogo sworn in. Yes. Yes, I'm here. Will they you have Sean? What happened to our bailiff? <laughs> All right, I'll swear you in, Mr. Vogel. Please raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear or affirm that the testimony you give at this hearing shall be the truth and nothing but the truth? I do. <laughs> Mr. Fogel, uh, you have had a chance to examine uh, the financial records and business practices and other relevant documents regarding Nanotech. Have you not? I have. Can you tell us, based on your examination, uh, what the annual revenue of Nanotech okay. is? Well, it reaches in the millions of dollars. So um, each year, it seems to be growing at an extensive amount. Um, but it, it's it's not a company. It's it's not a fly-by-night company. It, it, it there is literally millions of dollars in gross revenues. And uh, have you had a chance to examine Nanotech's filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission regarding its plans to go public through the issues of an of an IPO? The IPO supposedly is, is in the works, and it's obviously if a company is prepared to go public, it's obviously worth a lot of money, and they expect to make a lot of money. So this is not a, a fly-by-night company by any means. 
And what is your assessment of the cost that uh, Nanotech likely would have incurred if it had granted Mr. Uh, Bell the, uh, the accommodation that he requested? Well, given uh, what I know about this and having spoken with Mr. Bell and reviewed all the documents involved, um, the cost would have been minimal to the company, somewhere in the areas of maybe forty to fifty thousand dollars in total per year. Um, and uh, as I heard Mr. Bell testify earlier, it could have been technology available to its at, at available to be used to essentially assist uh, Mr. Bell to perform his duties. Um, so that, it, that the cost itself was not major. We're talking about a multi-million-dollar corporation. So you would estimate that additional cost uh, to the company to be approximately what percentage of its annual revenues? I wouldn't even, I, I, I would guess that it wouldn't even reach one, one, one percent, or actually one point of one percent. Uh, we're talking about a company that makes at least, um, has gross revenues of over $20 million. And uh, again, just to, uh, and uh, those gross revenues have been growing steadily over a number of years, and according to their filings, are expected to continue to do so? That is correct. Thank you. Now, uh, uh, did you have any opportunity to uh, ascertain whether or not uh, Mr. Bell has been replaced by another employee, and if so, at what salary level? Well, um, as Mr. Bell, as I heard Mr. Bell testify, or maybe I shouldn't have been in the courtroom, but ir irrespective, as I heard Mr. Bell testify, his, his gross salary, and as I've reviewed the documents, was approximately $200,000 per year with a bonus of an additional $50,000 per year um, in any given year. So he's looking at a quarter of a million dollars per year, um, given what I've been told by the company. Um, he was replaced with somebody obviously making a lot less with probably a lot less experience than he has. But irrespective, given the technology involved and his knowledge of same, it's clear that, uh, that they, they, they messed up because they actually had an employee who knew the materials involved, uh, was an expert in his area, and was obviously beneficial to the company itself. You aren't going to object. This goes outside the expertise of the witness, and we would object as speculation on his part. Well, my expertise is actually quite clear. Well, Mr. Logo, please oh. uh, let me rule before you continue. Um, I'm going to overrule the objection because um, I think it's well within his expertise. Well, just, just, for, the, just for the court's Mr. purposes Logo, and the defense. please wait for a question. Sure. I just want to tell the court. We'll just wait for the question. Uh, I, I think that your expertise speaks for itself. Uh, and you're highly regarded in your field. Uh, but it is your assessment then, your based objection, on the Mr. Mendelson's testifying? Well, as I said earlier, his comments and your comments are not evidence, so. But it is your assessment, uh, Mr. Fogel, based on the documents you have reviewed, uh, that the company in the short run, in the short run, is saving money by the replacement that it made. Your objection leading, that's his witness, and that's... Right. Or Mr. Fogel, Mr. Fogel, based Mr. on the documents, Mendelson. based on the documents Mr. you... Mr. Mendelson, wait till I rule. Sorry, Your Honor. Uh, I'm going to overrule the objection. Go ahead, Mr. Mendelson. Yes, so Mr. Fogel, based on the documents that you have reviewed, what is your understanding of the short-term uh, economic implications for the company of the replacement of Mr. Bell by, by the individual you identified? Well, the, b 
before I get to that, Judge, can I just say what my expertise really is? Because I think Why that's Why don't you confer issue. with Mr. Mendelson so he can ask the appropriate question? <laughs> Mr. Fogel, could you tell the court uh, of your scope of your expertise, please? Sure, absolutely. I have so many degrees, and I <laughs> testified. I've testified in so many courts in multiple jurisdictions. It began many years ago when I was a <laughs> an undergraduate at Columbia, and uh, I, I had a double major in computer science and accounting. Objection, then went on. Are we stipulated to the qualifications of the expert witnesses, and this is surplus, unnecessary. <laughs> Sustain. But I just want to tell you Sustain. what my experience no, is, and, and, and based on that, you Mr. would understand Vogel. how I got to my, Mr. you know, Vogel, sure. please. Uh, the objection sustained because it was stipulated that you are an expert for the purposes of this trial. But of course, but what I, all I'm suggesting I'll, is... Mr. Vogel, please wait for your counsel's questions. Mr. Vogel, you mentioned you have testified in other cases. Have you testified in cases involving uh, similar uh, uh, issues, assessing uh, 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 undue hardship claims? Yes, undue hardship is, is one of my expertise in the sense that, which I was about to say before I got rudely interrupted. Excuse um, me, Mr. Fogel. Not, not by you the court. You want to be held in contempt? No, no, not by the court, by defense counsel. Um, but I was about to say, Your Honor, is, is that in my graduate studies, I, I, I actually worked for the, the in, in conjunction as a contract employee with the Department of Justice while the ADA was being passed. So I have extensive knowledge on the ADA, and then I went on to NYU and I got a... Your Honor, object. We've stipulated to his expertise, and this is, this is unnecessary. Well, doesn't, isn't the jury... In the, well, the jury hold here? on, Mr. Vogel. You're not counsel today. Oh, You're sorry. a witness. So I'm going to overrule the objection since it's apparently uh, useless to try to control this. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Mr. Mendelson. M Mr. Fogel, in your dis did you have discussions with uh, the owner uh, of Nanotech in connection with your work? Yes, I did. Uh, in the course of those discussions, uh, and as a supplement to the documents you reviewed, did the Nanotech company ever explain to you the basis for their undue hardship claim? Actually, no. I couldn't find any undue hardship at all. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, this is a multi-million dollar corporation um, whose assets are, are, whose revenue is quite, is extensive and is growing, and they have an, an IPO coming up, which is an initial public offering offered to the public, which means that they're making extensive amounts of monies. And th this, is, this is nothing short of a, of, of a company that just seemed to um, either openly discriminate against an individual or, or simply decided that uh, they can replace... You're non-responsive to the question? I'm trying to answer the question. <laughs> uh, e well, hold on, hold on. I'll overrule that. I think that uh, Mr. Fogel is, is considered an expert witness and he's expressing his opinion. Thank you, Judge. Well, irrespective, the, the company itself um, either, either clearly violated the, the, pers the ADA by, by terminating this individual who was highly qualified um, to, do the to do the position, and the person that they replaced him with would, was a kid out of school. He didn't know anything. Objection, speculation. Overruled. Yeah. Mr. Fogel, have, uh, have you been paid a fee to testify here today? 
Well, I, would, I can honestly say each and every time I've come to court, I'm paid a fee. So this is, it's, not that, it's not that your fee is different than any other fee, but the reality is, is that my time and my expertise is, is of value, and obviously it costs money to hire an expert. And, uh, but I've testified for so many times, both on the plaintiff side and the defendant side. So when I review documents, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm more than, more than uh, more, I have more knowledge than most people out there. And therefore, um, I give an expert opinion based on what I know and what I see. And, and Mr. Vogel, roughly what percentage of your annual income is derived from fees uh, derived from reviewing or testifying uh, on behalf of plaintiffs? Objection relevant? Sustained. I have no further questions, Your Honor. All right, Mr. Prentice. We may reserve the right to, to redirect later. Yes, of course. Mr. Prentice? Mr. Fogel, <laughs> what is your fee for testifying here today? Well, do you want to... Overruled. Do you want to know the hourly rate or the total amount? What is the total amount you're being paid to appear here today and the, for compiling the information that you've reviewed uh, to be prepared for this hearing today? Well, obviously, it's a billable hourly rate, and we're not done here yet. But the, the reality is, is that um, I'm paid just comparable to most experts. So Mr. Fogo, please answer the question. I'm sorry. Um, I, uh, my hourly rate is $750 an hour. And to date, how many hours have you accrued on this case? Mm, last time I checked, probably about 50 hours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, and, but again, you know, I testify on behalf of plaintiffs and okay. defendants, and I have so Mr. many Fogel, degrees. Wait till I ask you a question, please. S sorry. gone to so many Ivy League schools. Mr. Vogel, <laughs> please wait for the question. Mr. Prentice, do you Mr. have a question? Mr. Vogel, okay. how much time did, did you spend visiting with Mr. Bell? Mr. Bell and I, uh, we spoke for, I would say, about five, six hours. And how much time did you spend speaking to his counsel, Mr. Mendelson? Well, uh, obviously his, his office hired me, so uh, I don't believe I can get into that in detail, but the reality is is that uh, I spoke to him, obviously, to prepare for today. Uh, Mr. Fogel, please answer the question. Sorry. What was the question? <laughs> How many hours did you spend talking with Mr. Mendelson, plaintiff's counsel? Mm, probably another five, six hours. And... How much time did you spend reviewing nanotech documentation? Well, nanotech was, was a completely different story. This is a multi-million dollar corporation, so I was reviewing their, their income and their assets and their bookkeeping for the past number of years, the IPOs involved, um, talking to some of their employees I was, I was allowed to talk to, um, and I reviewed the deposition transcripts. So there was quite extensive amount of time involved. Okay, could you please answer my question now that you've given your story? How mm. many hours did you well, spend talking to uh, and reviewing documents from Nanotech? My bill, if, if my hourly, if my hourly is uh, Mr. Fogo. I'm, I'm just thinking, Your Honor, I'm just, I'm sorry. Um, approximately, let's say about 25 hours. 25 hours. Okay, let's, let's do some math, Mr. Fogel. 
six plus six plus twenty-five. Your Honor, I, I, let, I, let her I, finish I, his question, Mr. Mendelson. I, I don't have to. Six plus six plus twenty-five equals thirty-seven, and you've been in court for a couple hours today. Where's the other ten hours, Mr. Fogel? Well, we're not done here yet today, are we? <laughs> I, I said approximately fifty. I didn't say exactly fifty. And Mr. Fogel, you've made numerous references to IPOs. There's been no IPO filed by Nanotech, has there? They, they, they just filed an IPO. Well, to, to, to the best of my knowledge, they're in the midst of doing so. So what I'm suggesting is, is that this is a company on, on the rise with a significant amount of, of revenue. I'd like to request that a uh, place in the record as an exhibit uh, a, a document reflecting the stated intention of Nanotech. Uh, well, we can develop those facts from the owner uh, when he testifies. Normally I would have done so, Your Honor, but Mr. Prentice uh, has brought that matter forward and it should be no, done now. No, let's move along. We're getting kind of out of our time limits. Okay, Mr. Prentice. Mr. Fogel, did you sit, on, sit in on any board meetings of, of Nanotech? I wasn't, I wasn't actually um, allowed to do that. Okay, that's a yes or no question. So the well, answer would be no. Said, no. Is that the answer is no. And so you don't know what, what other plans Nanotech has with regard to how they plan to spend their funds that they may or may not have available. Well, if you had bothered to listen to my expertise and how I got there. Mr. Fogel, don't argue with Mr. Prentice. Uh, Just I'm, answer the question. Your, your Honor, I have extensive. Just answer the question. I have colleagues on the wall. Just the answer the question, sir. Well, I'm trying to judge. Uh, what I'm suggesting is. Try is that harder. I, I'm trying. <laughs> my, my knowledge of Wall Street is actually quite extensive, and I actually called colleagues and friends, and they actually are aware that there's an IPO pending for this company. So that's how I'm aware of it. I have no further questions. Thank you. Any redirect, Mr. Mendelson? No, Your Honor. All right. Do you have any other witnesses, Mr. Mendelson? We do not. Uh, the, the, the plaintiff requests. All right. Mr. Prentice, call your first witness. Would call Stephen Blow to the stand. All right. The bailiff will administer the oath. Glacial theft in on the Bible, raise your right hand. You solemnly swear or affirm the testimony you're about to give is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. I do. All right, Ms. Prentice. Please state your name for the record, the members of the jury. Stephen Blow. Mr. Blow, how are you employed? I'm employed as the supervisor of client relations at Nanotechnologies. And how long have you been so employed? Uh, for 10 years. And what is your position with the company? Uh, supervisor of client relations. I uh, supervise all the, all the various managers and senior managers in uh, the client relations department. And for a time, were you the supervisor for Mr. Bell? Yes, actually, from the time he was hired to the time he was um, let go, I was his supervisor. 
And Mr. Blow, could you please characterize the the quality and quantity of the work performed by Mr. Bell for the first four and a half years that he worked at Nanotech? Well, the, the quality was good. The quantity was good. Uh, we, he was a valued employee. Um, then he started uh, losing his uh, central vision and uh, the quality slipped a bit, but uh, uh, and then uh, he uh, had to go on uh, medical leave <coughs> because uh, of his glaucoma and his blindness. Now, prior to him taking the FMLA, what type of a work attitude did he have in the workplace? He had a he had a pretty good attitude. He uh, he knew what he was doing, uh, and uh, in, in uh, with his job, and uh, was was you know pretty reliable and uh, competent and um, not a bad sort. Now, he testified on direct examination that his salary was approximately 200000 a year with uh, the potential of having bonuses of up to $50,000. Is that information accurate? It is. Of course, it increased uh, from a little less than that at the beginning to, uh, to that uh, toward the end. Um, that uh, doesn't include uh, fringe benefits and, and, you know, those kind of uh, employer kind of contributions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, Mr. Blow, as a supervisor, uh, you are part of the HR system of Nanotech, is that correct? Well, yes, as a supervisor, um, all, all the supervisors are trained uh, uh, to deal with HR situations and trained uh, concerning the um, Americans with, with Disabilities Act uh, compliance. And you're also trained with re regard to FMLA and, and all other HR type issues that come up with regard to the people that you supervise, is that correct? Well, we have a, a, an HR department, but all the supervisors have some training, yes. Now, prior to Prior to Mr. Bell returning to work after his, uh, or during his FMLA time, uh, did he make a request for some accommodations in order to return to work? Yes, he, um, he called and said uh, that he had learned uh, through his uh, vocational rehabilitation uh, about some technology that uh, he thought he would need uh, assistive technology, uh, a screen reader called JAWS, and uh, a printer and uh, a scanner with uh, open book software. Were, were you familiar with this type of adaptive technology? No, not intimately. Um, I might have heard the name before, but I didn't really know 
a lot about it. He was the one that said that this was uh, what he needed because this, and told me a little bit about what it did. And uh, so I went to the, the owner and discussed it. And did uh, did your supervisor and uh, the, the owner of the company, did, did he ultimately agree to purchase the exact items requested by Mr. Bell? Yes, he did. And what did uh, wh what did the company spend on on these uh, special requests? Uh, I believe it was five thousand dollars. Now, was that equipment present at his workstation when he returned to work? Yes, uh, the IT department um, uh, had purchased it uh, for the company and and uh, set it up and uh, had it ready for him when he uh, returned to work so he could, uh, you know, hit the ground running. <coughs> At that point, Mr. Blow, was it, was it your opinion that, that uh, Mr. Bell would be able to return uh, and perform at the same level he was at prior to his taking leave? Well, it was my assumption based on what he said that he needed. Uh, I figured he knew what he w what he was talking about, and that that he uh, <coughs> he was making the uh, accommodation request. So, uh, so I thought that that's uh, what he needed, and assumed that 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 would uh, give him the assistance that he needed to perform uh, to do the quality and quantity of work. Um. Mr. Blow, how soon was it after he returned to work that, that you noted that, that his work was slipping? Well, Mr. Bell kind of had the timing wrong. Uh, um, it, um, he, uh, he spent about two weeks uh, and I gave him some time, about two weeks, when he, uh, from the time he uh, returned to work, um, you know, to get um, get up to speed, and uh, uh, but uh, by the end of the two weeks, uh, I I went and talked with him about that situation um, because the. Uh, the quality of the work that he did was there, but the quantity wasn't. Uh, you know, when he could do the work, the quality was still there, but the quantity just had slipped quite a bit. So, Mr. Blow, are you saying that you went to him first and he didn't come to you first? Yes, that's uh, that's what I'm saying. Mr. Bell kind of uh, had the timing wrong uh, on that. I I went and and asked him what was going on. Uh, asked him about the, the uh, technology that he had asked for and uh, told him I, that I thought that, uh, that he should uh, by now uh, have, the, uh, have the quantity up to the, the level that it should be at. How did, how did Mr. Bell respond to you and be as specific as you can? Well, he... he he told me that uh, 
the problems that with the with the technology that uh, he couldn't read everything and uh, that he couldn't read the the, the uh, screen reader couldn't read certain graphics and the and the scanner uh, couldn't uh, couldn't handle uh, handwritten notes and certain things and uh, so he he uh, asked for he said he would he thought he could get his uh, quantity up if he had a reader so how would you how would you describe his attitude at this point well this, the, plaintiff's, the plaintiff's attitude is not an issue in this case. The issue in this case is undue hardship as specified in the pleadings and the depositions and in all the other prior proceedings leading up to this point. The well, attitude is me, not in question. Excuse me. It certainly goes to the issue of credibility, though. Overruled. He, um, he was getting a little frustrated and I think frustrated with with the company, figuring that the company should have known better, but you know, they, he was the one that made the request. The company got him exactly what he wanted, what he asked for, and then he asked for a reader. And so we were a little, I was a little concerned that uh, that he couldn't do the job, uh, and he was getting demanding. Um, nevertheless. Uh, we did get uh, a reader. We've have a we've had a long long-standing relationship with uh, Express, Express Employment Services, <coughs> and um, and so contacted them, and they had a uh, a person named Tony, uh, forget his last name, that um, was would be available immediately. Uh, so we uh, made arrangements for. Uh, hi to hire the reader. Did you feel like it was important to get someone there as quickly as possible to assist Mr. Bell? Yes, I did. One of the things that uh, was important is to try to keep the get the uh, quantity up, and uh, uh, the uh, employment services company said that they had somebody that would be available. Uh, the, you know, the next Monday we contacted him. I think Thursday or Friday of that of the second week. And was was Tony highly recommended by your by Express? Yes, we asked. Uh, we we told them what we needed, and uh, and they, uh, you know, they rec highly recommended him, and they said that uh, we we had no reason to. Uh, question the recommendations since they've given us good service in the past. And once Tony uh, arrived on the job and began to work with Mr. Bell, uh, how would you describe that that worked out? Well, um, we could see um, it, there wasn't much of a change in the, in the quantity of work that, that uh, was that um, Mr. Bell was producing. So how long did uh, Mr. Bell work with Tony before uh, you determined that other steps needed to be taken? 
Well, I, um, if I if I recall correctly, uh, within a week or so, he came and said, uh, "This isn't working out. I need a reader. I need a qualified, uh, educated reader, not this jerk." And uh, he, his attitude was uh, markedly uh, different, mar markedly hostile. How did you respond to that, Mr. Blow? Well, he, he said that he, he needed somebody at the graduate level, <clears throat> and I said um, that, you know, for that kind of an expense, I didn't know exactly how much it would be, but I said we would check, uh, and I would have to contact the owner and uh, talk with him, and, uh, and uh, so that's what we did. And once you contacted the owner, you, you talked with Mr. Crott, is that correct? Yes, I did. And what was Mr. Crott's response? Well, he, he checked, uh, uh, he had someone check or he checked into it and, and said that, uh, that a graduate student would cost uh, um, $40 an hour and um, and that was uh, what Mr. Bell had asked for. And he, he just said he didn't think he could uh, swing that, given the financial condition of the company at this moment. Uh, so he directed me to, uh, to let Mr. Bell go. So did you subsequently terminate the employment of Mr. Bell after this? Yes, I did. Mr. Blow, did, did in, in your opinion, as, as the supervisor for Mr. Bell, did, did, you, did you endeavor to make accommodations for Mr. Bell's disability? Yes, uh, we certainly did. I certainly did, and the company certainly did. We're, uh, we're a company that cares about our employees, and uh, I've been there 10 years, uh, and uh, the, uh, we certainly uh, tried to accommodate uh, Mr. Bell's request. We, we got him everything he said he needed. Uh, we got him the uh, hardware and software initially. Then we got him a reader uh, that came highly recommended from our uh, the employment services company that we've used for a number of years. And then uh, it was only when he demanded a, uh, a, a graduate student uh, at a significantly higher uh, rate of $40 an hour, and of course then that would be, there would be fringe benefits and all that on top of all that, um, that we, uh, that uh, the company uh, said it couldn't, uh, it couldn't do that. That was uh, an undue hardship. I'll pass the witness, Your Honor. All right, Mr. Mendelson, did you have any cross-examination? Yes. Uh, thank you for being here today, Mr. Blow. I'm sure. Uh, can you tell us that when you contacted uh, Express regarding the hiring of the reader, did you specify to them uh, any reading level or any particular qualifications or experience that might be needed? Well, I, they, they've worked with us before, and I told them that you know we we needed somebody that was qualified that that could, uh, could read um, complex documents 
they, they knew that we were a nanotechnology company. I'm not sure if I specifically mentioned uh, uh, all the formulas and so on, but, um, but they, know, they knew that, uh, that Mr. Bell was a uh, uh, manager of client relations and they knew that we are a nanotechnology company. Mm -hmm. And uh, after Tony came to work, did you ever have occasion to sit in and uh, observe uh, him and Mr. Bell working together? Um, I'm trying to think if I if I did. I, I know I, I know I was uh, I was in the office. I did see. Um, I did see Tony um, walk, uh, walking around the office and talking to folks and, and uh, just assumed that it was uh, uh, his break time that, that, uh, or that Mr. Bell didn't need him at that point. I, um, uh, I, don't, I don't think I ever actually, you know, went into Mr. Bell's office and watched uh, watched Tony's uh, interaction with uh, with uh, Mr. Bell. And Mr. Blow, uh, after Mr. Bell made his request for a, uh, a, a reader with higher skill level, uh, you went to talk uh, the matter over with the owner of the company, Mr. Crott. Is that right? Yes, I did. Yeah. Did Mr. Crott ask you for a recommendation? I believe so, um, uh, but I think uh, I just I said told him what uh, to what um, Mr. Bell had said that uh, that he needed a graduate student, and uh, you know I could see that that the uh, that Tony wasn't working out um, because the qu quantity didn't quantity didn't change, so. Um, so I knew that uh, there had to be somebody, um, if he was going to be uh, hired, uh, it would have to be somebody with, with more experience, costing more money. Um, we just uh, looked into uh, what Mr. Bell had specifically asked for. That's what we tried to do all along. Did Mr. Crott uh, ask you for any recommendation as to whether or not uh, the granting of such a request uh, would be uh, in the firm's interest. No, uh, I don't believe he did. He was uh, concerned about the undue hardship, um, uh, the, that question, and uh, uh, so he he just looked into the um, to the uh, question of. Uh, you know, how much a how much a graduate student reader would cost? Did Mr. Crott at any time ask you for your own assessment based on your knowledge of Mr. Bell's work and your history with him, as to whether, leaving aside the question of cost, uh, if such a, a request had been granted, the employee's work would have been of a sufficient quality? I don't believe so. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, one, one, one more question, uh, Mr. Uh, Blow, and I 
sort of uh, apologize for asking you in advance. Are, are you here today on, on work time or on your own personal time? Uh, I'm here on work time uh, because uh, this is a company business. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, I have no further questions this time. Thank you for your help. And Mr. Brendis, any redirect? No further questions at this time. We reserve the right to, to recall him uh, if necessary. Of course. Mr. Prentice, your next witness? Next witness will be Jim Crott. All right, Mr. Crott will be uh, administered the oath. Place your left hand on the Bible, raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear or affirm that the testimony you're about to give in this court is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. State your name for the record. James K. Crott, Esquire. <laughs> have order. And Mr. Crott, how are you employed? Well, I'm the owner of nanotechnology. And how long have you owned the company, sir? Uh, 12 years. And, and what, what type of business does nanotech do? Well, we, uh, we develop software that we in, intertwine with hardware that we commingle with personal involvement of individual employees to further promote their productivity and efficiency in, well, you get it. <laughs> and Mr. Crott, uh, is, is Stephen Blow one of your employees? Yes, he certainly is. And did you formerly, did your company formerly employ a, a man by the name of Christopher Bell? We did. And are, are you familiar with the, with the reason why he is no longer an employee of Nanotech. Absolutely. And what knowledge did you have as, as the owner of the company of the process of uh, accommodating his disabilities and, and his subsequent termination? Well, Mr. Blow kept me very informed uh, throughout the uh, process uh, when uh, the employee returned to work. We were certainly very compassionate and very sorry that he had lost his sight. Uh, he went to uh, vocational rehabilitation training for some three months. Um, we, under the law, certainly uh, needed to give him the time to do that, uh, and we did that. Um, Subsequently, uh, he contacted us before returning to work and said he needed some software and hardware. And um, when I discussed it uh, with um, my manager, I, I had no objection to doing what, was, what, what he needed and what he said he needed to, to do his job. He was a $200,000 a year plus employee 
and we certainly had valued him as an employee in the past and were expecting that he would return and be competent and capable to perform his job duties. When he said these, this hardware and software would help him, uh, I agreed that $5,000 was uh, not an unreasonable request and was not an undue hardship on the company. Um, then uh, we had a discussion later on when he still wasn't performing. We were still paying him $200,000 a year. Uh, he wasn't performing up to snuff at all. Uh, and he said he would perform better if the company got him a reader. And, so uh, did you get him a reader? We got him a reader. We went to our uh, personnel provider and said we needed a reader. And they came back with uh, Tony. And uh, we brought him in. And, and they started to work together. We gave him the latitude that we thought the, the uh, employee would be able to supervise and work with, uh, with Tony, but evidently, um, I guess after I watched today, I could understand he, he couldn't get along with Tony, and uh, they, they were constantly at it and bickered and, and whatever, so it wasn't a great relationship. So, so uh, when it came time, when Mr. Blow came back to you, uh, did, did he talk to you about uh, the subsequent request by Mr. Bell to hire a graduate student in... Uh, uh, that had a background in nanotechnologies? Well, he did. Um, he certainly did. Um, and I made some inquiry and determined that um, a graduate student was going to cost uh, $40 an hour. Now, let me get my calculator here. <laughs> uh, $40 an hour, uh, just so you understand where we're coming from. Um, I'm going to say $40 times 40 hours a week times 52 weeks in a year. That's um that's $83,200 plus fringe benefits and all the other taxes and such, that's over $100,000 a year, which is 50% of his salary. Did you feel like that that was, that was reasonable under the circumstances? No, sir. Now, there's, there's been a lot made about the, the uh, in the words of Mr. Fogel, the millions of dollars that Nanotech uh, is making every year. Uh, do, you have, do you have just unlimited amounts of cash just sitting around the office that you can throw 80 $83,200 at a, at a reader and, and uh, you know, whatever else that uh, Mr. Bell or some other employee would come up with next? No, sir. No, sir. We, um, if we have that kind of cash sitting around, I'm not aware of it. It's certainly not in my uh, uh, end of the year disbursements. Uh, we're a, we're uh, not profit, profit making yet. Uh, we keep trying, but we have not yet crossed that line. So I don't know where this accountant gets his information from, but he said $40,000 an hour was uh, $40,000 a year, and it's really over $100,000 a year. So that very much tells me that he's not reliable. 
Well, seems seems like he said he went to school somewhere up in the Northeast. Maybe he just didn't get a good education. <laughs> Mr. Mendelson. Mr. Mendelson. Control your client. Your Honor, my, my, my client has said nothing. I, however, wish to object to this line of questioning. Uh, the expertise of the w witness has already been stipulated to, and this is an attempt uh, to undermine that stipulation. If the defense wishes to withdraw its stipulation as to our expert, we will obviously consider his expert as well. Well, it's kind of late to do that now, so uh, I'm going to... I'll, I'll move on, Your Honor. ...the objection, and uh, it's up to the jury to decide whether to credit that expert witness or not. Mr. Crod, are you familiar with the Americans with Disabilities Act? Yes, I am. And are you familiar with other laws that, that protect employees in protected classes? I believe I am. And is, is it your company's position that, that you believe these laws are in place for a good reason? Absolutely. And is, is, it, uh, is it your company's position as you being the the representative for your company, is it your company's position that that, that you followed the law in, with respect to Mr. Bell? I believe we did. We made every attempt to meet his requests for accommodations. We bought the equipment. We installed the equipment. We hired a reader, but to pay this employee, in essence, over $300,000 a year, $325,000 with fringes probably, uh, the position didn't justify it and it would have been an undue hardship on our company. Do you have the cash reserves available to be able to cover that for, for one employee? I have the cash reserves. That was not, the, not, not critical to my thinking. Um, if I had five employees that, that needed the same thing, uh, I would not have the cash reserves. Uh, I had the cash reserves, but the point is uh, it's an undue hardship uh, on, on our economic structure when we're trying to become profitable and turn the profit line. We were willing to go so far. Uh, I think $12 an hour with fringes. Uh, would be $25,000 a year, plus, plus fringes. Uh, so w we certainly really attempted to accommodate um, uh, the employee. Mr. Crott, in the end, could, could Mr. was Mr. Bell able to perform at the level that he was able to perform before? Absolutely not. Uh, he never did in the, since he came back to work. He didn't before we got him the reader. He didn't after we got him the reader. His production didn't go up at all. We'd spent uh, $5,000 plus we'd spent uh, $25,000 plus fringes uh, on the employee for the few weeks that he was there uh, and seen no increase in output uh, at all. So we were under the impression or led to believe that he just wasn't going to be able to do it uh, for whatever reason. Mr. Crod, did, 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 the, did the termination of employment have anything at all to do with the fact that Mr. Bell was blind? No. 
I'll pass the witness. Mr. Crott, thank you for being here today. In your discussions with Mr. Blow, was it we given to understand, or did you otherwise assume that the reader, at whatever level paid, would have to be full time? That's what was requested. We never discussed why he could, or if he could, uh, work with fewer hours. When I think about it logically, uh, it doesn't make sense. Uh, that he should have asked for full time, we should have been able to cut it down. Uh, I heard something else in this testimony today. Well, uh, any further questions, Mr. Yes. Martin? So I assume, therefore, based on your supposition that full time would not be required, that you inquired whether a reduced amount of time would suffice? I was told that he requested a full time reader, and I was told that he requested a full time graduate student. That is what I consider. Mr. Crott, you've testified that you're uh, familiar with uh, and, and believe in the principles of the ADA. Could you talk about your knowledge of the interactive process in that regard? Could you rephrase that or repeat uh, Does that? your familiarity with the ADA extend to the responsibility that an employer such as yourself has uh, to discuss accommodation requests with an employee and to negotiate to find out if some uh, mutually acceptable result can be achieved. Now, you've, you've well, my, my, my manager discussed with him, and it was his request, and it was every opportunity to meet his request and give him what he said he needed to do the job. Did you understand that you had any option between meeting his request uh, absolutely and firing him? Did you understand that you had possible room to discuss with him the possibility of, of some modification of his request? I'm not sure I understand what you're asking me, sir. When the supervisor came to you and said that the employee requested so-and-so, did you believe that your only two options were either to grant the employee's request in full or to terminate him? I believe those were the two options that, that uh, were uh, on, on my desk when I made the decision that he needed to, to be let go. Uh, we had we had bent over backwards. We'd made every accommodation. Uh, the employee said that now he could use something called IRA. I, I looked on the internet while the testimony was going on. IRA would not have worked or been acceptable by our company uh, because it would have had non um, non um, not non trained non. Uh, Employees, uh, people reading the material to uh, Mr. Bell uh, that didn't have the confidentiality uh, protections or could otherwise read our documents, which in many instances are private, privileged, and or confidential. So we couldn't have had uh, at will uh, just other people from the outside looking at his, his work and reading it to him uh, without violating uh, our requirements of, uh, of confidentiality and, and, and other such. So from your standpoint, there would have been no point to try to negotiate the number of hours because you couldn't have accommodated him at any number of hours? No, we have made every attempt to accommodate him with uh, 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 the, the, the uh, full-time uh, reader uh, he indicated he wanted more than that. Everything we gave him was never enough. 
And, um, you know, with, with an employee that becomes disgruntled and demanding, uh, you can go so far. Uh, you know, had, uh, had this employee indicated uh, a willingness to maybe help us uh, meet this uh, $125,000 a year or $100,000 a year obligation, uh, maybe, maybe we could have worked something out, but I didn't initiate that. I didn't think it was my job. But why, but why did the same issues of confidentiality uh, and proper security vetting that you said would have applied to uh, someone hired at the employer's request not earlier also applied to Tony? It did apply to Tony. He was vetted. He went through our process of employment. He signed confidentiality agreements, and he was absolutely uh, uh, approved to look at our records, uh, look at our documents, and read them to Tony. So to then you had experience finding someone who would meet your security requirements. What was that? So therefore you had experience in finding someone who would meet your security requirements. Well, every employee that we hire has to meet the security uh, requirement and go through the necessary steps of signing confidentiality agreements and stuff. So yes, all of our employees do that, but if you used IRA, uh, you would have no handle on who looked at your uh, documents, what they, what they looked at, what they didn't look at, even though their employees are required to sign certain agreements, we can't just have people that we have no control over looking at our documents. It wouldn't work. Granted, uh, but you, uh, you, did not th you do not understand that uh, the specific recommendation being made is IRA. Let me ask you uh, whether you considered or discussed with your supervisor the possibility of reassignment to another position within the company. No, we did not discuss that. We uh, were never asked if the, uh, the, if he wanted a different job, um, so we did not discuss that. You did not regard it as appropriate or within your sphere of responsibility or even permissible for you to initiate such discussions? I certainly would have entertained such discussions. I did not think I needed to initiate them. Did you regard it as outside the scope of your authority to initiate them? No, sir. Did you regard them as potentially violative of the ADA for you to initiate them? No, sir. So your decision not to initiate them was based upon? I didn't make a decision not to initiate them, sir. I just didn't initiate them. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I see. Uh, let me ask you something, Mr. Crott. Uh, did you personally know Mr. Bell? I'd met him in the coffee room. I'd uh, passed him in the men's room. Uh, yeah, I, I, I knew him. So he worked for you for five years, but you never actually had any kind of extended Sir, discussion? or. do you know how many employees I have? How many I do you have? How many employees do you have? Uh, 750. And how many of them have you had what you would regard as any personal conversation with? Objection, relevance. I'll sustain the objection. All right. uh, yes, we're going to come to that. Uh, now, uh, based on your uh, size of your company uh, and this large number of employees, and based on your uh, adherence to uh, and admiration for the ADA, I'd like to talk about your experience uh, owning a company, which obviously is required by law to operate under the ADA. 
So can you tell me about some other reasonable accommodation requests that you have dealt with in the past and Objection how you relevance? No, you, no, Your Honor. This. I uh, you mean you sustained it? I said oh, I misheard you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Your Honor. Thank you. Uh, uh, we need to ask you, sir. Could you tell us about other reasonable accommodation requests from among your large stable of employees that you've dealt with over the years, and a little bit about how you've approached them? Well, um, I. I didn't research this before I came, and I do lots of things and sign lots of papers, and I can tell you that we have made some accommodations uh, over, the, over the course of the years with employees as they needed them, but we've never been in a position where somebody asked for a $100,000 a year plus uh, helper when they were making $200,000 a year. So, Mr. Kratt, uh, do you have a, a bright line that is, say, if an accommodation cost more than X percent of employee's salary, uh, you would automatically reject it? Absolutely not. And yet you've made frequent references uh, to the proportion, the proportional relationship between the arguable cost of the reader and the employee's salary. So I assume that that percentage threshold has some meaning to you, sir? Well, I have made the comparison because I think that talking about the accommodation as being insignificant or expected um, is patently unfair. $200,000 employee with a hundred and some thousand dollar accommodation is not incidental and would in fact constitute an undue hardship on the company. Mr. Kraut, when uh, Mr. Blow came to you uh, with the request for the uh, upgraded reader. Uh, did you ask Mr. Blow his opinion of whether, leaving aside the question of cost for the moment, whether if such a request were granted, the productivity might return to its previous and desired levels? I don't recall um, that um, discussion. Um, I certainly didn't know. Uh, we had relied on the employee two previous times for what he said would work, and in fact his performance was 50% below normal. Um, so we had no reason at that point in time to believe that this type of reader would necessarily uh, improve his uh, performance to the point where it was when he went on leave. So you were operating on the basis of what we'll call a three strikes you're out principle? No, sir. Uh, did you, so you disbelieved Mr. Bell's uh, claim that if he had a reader of suitable skill level, he could perform at the required level. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying I had reason to suspect the, and rely upon um, Mr. Bell's opinions at that point about whether he could ever perform the job as he was required to perform, and moreover, his attitude of expectation and his attitude of belligerence towards the supervisor uh, led me to believe that we needed to terminate the relationship. So if you had believed, if you had believed Mr. Bell, 
in his expectation or in his claim that the higher skilled reader would enable him to perform at the desired level. If you had believed him, would you have reacted differently? Would the money have been less of a concern? Or let me put it another way. Is it in fact, sir, the case that the money is just a subterfuge? Your Honor, there's a That's compound question questions. in there, and there's also some uh, yeah, asking for speculation. I'm going to object. Okay. Oh, I was just saying. Mr. Mr. Crott, uh, if, you had, if you had believed that the reader could or would, even could, improve the quality of the work sufficiently, would you have granted the request? Your Honor, that's speculation I object. No, it isn't. I'm asking I, him to recall no, what he thought about at the time. Mr. Mendelson, please. Sorry. I'm going to sustain the objection. All right. Ask another question. Mr. Crott, what is the uh, gross revenue of your firm? Company. The gross revenue is, is significant. I mean, it's enough to pay 750 employees. I think the number was around 10 million, but uh, there's no profit in the company, so the gross revenue doesn't tell the whole story. The, the fact is that we are not a profit-making entity yet, and if, if we look at paying this kind of money, we're even further from profitability. Mr. Crowd, are you the sole owner of your company? Yes, Your Honor. Uh, do you have in, in, I'm sorry. Do you have uh, investors such as hedge, fund, hedge funds or private equity funds? Yes, we do. You uh, did you consult with any of them regarding a request of this I sort? I did not. Did you consult with your board regarding a request of this sort? I did not. Is that normally something or, that you might have done or it's something you've done in other ADA-related contexts? No, sir. Uh, is your annual revenue increasing steadily, or has it been stable, or how would you describe its progression over the past three years? Uh, it's increasing slowly. We hope to be profitable within the next two to three years. Now, it is our understanding that your firm plans to go public by uh, an initial public offering of stock within two years, is that correct? Oh, I, I've heard that said. I, I'm not sure we have a firm date as to when that will be. But you have expressed that intention in a filing with the SEC, have you not? We have expressed a hope. All right. Uh, and uh, do you think that the timing or feasibility of such a step would be impacted adversely or at all if you had granted the request that Mr. Bell made? I object that speculation. No, it's oh, economics. It's I numbers. Rule the objection. So uh, could could you repeat the question? Yes. Uh, do you believe today, based on your uh, intimate knowledge of all the numbers and all the variables involved, that uh, if Mr. Bell's requests were granted, the timing or feasibility of your, of your companies going public would be adversely affected or significantly delayed? I do not have reason to believe that it would be significantly delayed. Mr. Crott, if you had, if you had granted the request uh, and the situation still had not been approved, uh, would you have retained the legal right to fire Mr. Bell at that time? 
if you had granted the request on an experimental basis and it had not worked, the employee of the requisite skill level had been hired, but the work had not improved, would you have then still had the legal right to fire Mr. Bell? I, I never looked at that um, because I, I thought we had gone as far as we could legitimately afford to go without making an undue hardship, and so I never, never considered that. Mr. Crott, may I ask you, if, at the risk of being personal, what you earn? Um, objection, Your Honor. Irrelevant. Sustained. Mr. Crott, do you receive reasonable accommodations in the form of secretarial services, uh, chauffeur services, people to bring you your coffee in the morning, things of that nature? Your objection, relevance, sustained. I have no further questions at this time. I reserve the right. Can you redirect, Mr. Prentice? You know, I have no, no further questions, and uh, we would uh, request that uh, Mr. Crott be excused. He has some important uh, uh, company business to take care of uh, uh, outside this court, and we'd also request a five-minute recess. Okay. Mr. Mendelson, do you object to that request? <laughs> All right, we're in recess for five minutes. Thank you. Yeah? Pardon me? Is Prentice back? Yeah, I don't think Prentice is back yet. <laughs> that would be convenient for you, wouldn't it? <laughs> So am I. Well, while, while we're waiting for uh, counsel to defend this, I, I heard some reaction about what Mr. Fogelwood was charging. And I can tell you, I mean. Well, you know, let's keep this as. Uh, no, 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 Chris. Chris, Chris, let's keep this uh, uh, on the record as much as possible. No, I just wanted to come this, Without putting your hands on him. <laughs> well, there's a stipulation, Fogel. If you didn't want to have a stipulation, you know, if you didn't want to have a stipulation, you shouldn't have. He said they actually have to be an honorary degree from NYU. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's keep it on the record, okay? You know, these conversations we're having now. Are, are, are not part of the record, and you should not consider them in making your decision. And, uh, you know, uh, it's hard to control people sometimes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and it's also hard to control the attorneys, too. All right, Prentice back yet? He's walking in the room. All right. And is 
Is Dave back? All right. We're back. We're back on the record. Uh, Mr. Prentiss, your next witness. Mr. Adams, you're going to be administered the oath. Raise your right hand, place your left hand on the Bible. Do you solemnly swear the truth about testimony you're about to give is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to so help God? Uh, unlike some prior witnesses, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Adams, uh, your editorial comments are not welcomed. Sorry. All right, Mr. Prentice. Thank you, Your Honor. Please state your name for the record and the members of the jury. Dave Adams. And Dave, could you, uh, your, your uh, credentials have been uh, stipulated to, uh, basically what is your profession, sir? Well, uh, I've had uh, numerous positions both in the nanotechnology area, in the law, and in accounting. And if you had the opportunity, uh, Mr. Adams, to review the uh, financial status and background of nanotechnologies uh, prior to this trial today? Uh, I did, and it didn't take me 25 hours. <laughs> and, <laughs> all right, let's keep the comments to yourself. All right, Mr. Prentice. Uh, Mr. Adams, are, you're not an employee of nanotechnologies, is that correct? I am not. And in fact, were you retained to, uh, to review the records of nanotechnologies and testify here today? I'm appearing today as an expert witness. And in your review of the records of nanotechnologies, what did you learn uh, regarding the financial status of the company? Well, as the owner had said uh, earlier in his testimony, this company has yet to see a profit. Um, yes, it has uh, revenue, substantial revenue, some may say, but uh, this is a very tenuous industry, and if you look at the time frame in which this company was started, it was in the midst of the economic downturn. There was significant risk that was taken uh, uh, when this company was started, and um, yes, it's grown some, uh, most recently because uh, it acquired another uh, uh, smaller competitor, and they believed that by uh, acquiring that competitor would put them at, at a um, competitive advantage with respect to uh, uh, the marketplace, but um, uh, they have not been profitable. In your review of their uh, financial status, did, did they seem to have uh, loads of cash just laying around ready to be spent on just anything? Well, I think that this may be an area where we differ somewhat uh, between experts. I mean, yes, there's cash there, but when you look at the, uh, the balance sheet and the P&Ls, which are on a cruel basis, and and look at profitability. Um, any company is going to want to have some cash uh, for a rainy day, but uh, I think it would be imprudent to spend all of your cash uh, in one area or just a couple of areas. And did you review the, the cost-benefit analysis with regard to the uh, different reader options that were uh, tried and then requested by Mr. Bell? I did. Well, he just testified he did, so your objection's overruled. And Mr. Adams, what did your, what did you review, uh, uh, bring, what resolutions did you come, come to with regard to your review? Well, uh, based on my review, um, 
I determined and came to the conclusion that it would have been an undue hardship to uh, provide the kind of accommodations that were requested by this employee. That, there were a number of factors involved. Um, the owner alluded to one of them, and that is that um, the accommodation that was requested, or the final accommodation, was going to cost in excess of $100,000 a year. Uh, but what wasn't um, <clears throat> brought out in either the other experts' testimony or even the owner's testimony is that during that period of time, um, if the employee continued to perform at 50% or less of productivity that uh, he had uh, been uh, performing at prior to uh, the, uh, uh, his loss of sight, um, and the loss of customers given his position and the difficulty in regaining uh, that customer base uh, or building up the trust uh, that those customers needed with the nanotechnology, uh, there were significant uh, economic uh, impacts that were would have been made. So would it, would it have been in excess of the $100,000 or so counting salary and benefits that, that uh, you're referring to? In my opinion, yes. Do you believe that, uh, that, that the decision made by nanotechnologies to refuse the the final request for accommodations by Mr. Bell was a financially prudent decision uh, for the company. Uh, let's put it a different way, Council. I believe that uh, having um, granted that accommodation would have been an undue hardship on the business. I'll pass the witness, Your Honor. Mr. Adams, in your view, is it necessary to identify a specific harm that would accrue to a business before a requested accommodation can be deemed an undue hardship. Well, can you define harm for me? Well, a, a loss of a certain percentage of profit, a loss of a certain number of customers, a loss of customers at all, uh, which you've alluded to. What, what exactly would be the parameters? Uh, accepting your conclusion as a sincere one, what are the parameters that you would use? A hardship to some degree is given. Any expense imposes a hardship on the person making it. What makes the hardship undue as opposed to normal and acceptable? Well, I tried to take a comprehensive view of the financial situation of this company, uh, beginning with the fact that the company uh, had not turned a profit, was not expected to turn a profit uh, for uh, a couple of years anyways. Um, and uh, uh, given the tenuous nature of uh, its position in the market and, and perhaps its inability to ever recover from a significant loss or a loss of a customer base. Um, those are factors which I believe that, that uh, the company needs to take uh, into consideration. And then um, we add the cost of the accommodation itself. So while the other costs that I referred to earlier may be relevant with respect to any employee, you add on the uh, additional costs that would have been incurred for the accommodation here. And I believe that that uh, request uh, would have been uh, an undue hardship. Sir, I'll ask you two brief questions. What is your basis for concluding that this company's position is any more tenuous than any company in a competitive industry? What is the basis for your conclusion that this company's position is unusually tenuous? Well, I didn't say it was unusually tenuous. I just said it was um, in this particular marketplace. And again, uh, if you heard what I said earlier, and I'm sure you were listening, um, when this company was started, it was during the economic downturn, um, and uh, uh, there was a lot of competition. There still remains a lot of competition, and again, I testified that one of the re reasons that this company acquired 
a smaller competitor was to um, uh, increase its competitive uh, stance in the marketplace, but it certainly uh, is, it's not on uh, uh, the road to profitability in the next few months. Well, we probably can get into a discussion of M&A here, but I think you would agree that acquisition of a smaller competitor is usually a sign of company strength, not weakness. Is that a question? It is. I'm sorry, I didn't Could hear the last part. Your voice dropped off. Would you not agree that acquisition of a, comp of a competitor is more often a sign of economic strength than economic weakness? No, I wouldn't agree to that. All right. Mr. Adams, could you tell us about how you were paid for your work in being here today, the rate, the formula, and the total amount of your compensation for your work on Nanotech's behalf? Well, uh, given Nanotech technology's uh, uh, lack of profitability and the fact that I don't have to continue paying tuition while I go to many schools to try and get it right, um, <laughs> I, I charge $250 an hour. Have you done other work for Nanotech? Uh, I have not done other work for Nanotech, no. Would you expect to in the future? Uh, I suppose that I couldn't uh, say I would never work for Nanotech if they, uh, if they came to me, but I, I have no uh, pending uh, uh, employment opportunities with the company. Have you previously testified for the defense in other ADA accommodation cases? Well, you know, Mr. Fogel and I have battled in many courtrooms. Uh, so I don't know. He said it was. And that's many, not responsive, sir. Many, many, many. Mr. So, Mendelson, so let him many, answer. So it was many, many, many more. Yes. Uh, uh, sir, have you testified for defendants and plaintiffs, or only for defendants? Of course. Of course, what? I'm non-discriminatory. I. I will <laughs> Who? How many defendants and how many plaintiffs have you testified for, sir? Well, how long have you got, counsel? <laughs> what is the proportion? of defendants vis-a-vis -vis plaintiffs for whom you have testified. Wait, uh, uh, wait, Mr. Mendelson, you keep going on. Yes, Why don't yes. you wait for the ruling? Yes, sir. You know? Yes, sir. Uh, overruled, if you can answer. Well, I'd say it was probably 51% um, for plaintiffs and 49% for defendants. And is it, your, is it your belief, sir, that if the accommodation had been, had been granted, that this company's uh, prospects for the timing and success of its IPO would have been adversely affected? Well, you keep referring to the IPO council. The IPO was not a consideration at the time that the request for reasonable accommodation was made. Uh, certainly that has come up in the intervening years. Um, so would it have affected it or not? I don't know. That, that's pure speculation. I see. All right, I have no further questions. Uh, any more, re any redirect? No redirect, Your Honor. All right, you've heard the evidence and testimony in this hearing. Your Honor, uh, we would rest our case. All right, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so you've heard the evidence and testimony in this case. Um, at this time, I'm going to allow each counsel five minutes for their closing arguments. So perhaps we'll be able to get out of here by four o'clock. Mr. Mendelson, your final argument. Thank you, Your Honor. I don't need five minutes to explain what we believe happened in this case. What we have here is a successful employee uh, who brought honor and credit and profit to his company and dignity to himself until he became afflicted with a disability, namely that of blindness, which he courageously fought to overcome for in order to continue doing his work. He tried his best to continue to do so. 
He requested what we believe are reasonable accommodations, and we believe that on two bases. Number one, based on our experts' economic analysis and our knowledge of the company, but also on the basis of our belief, which defendant company never allowed to be tested, that if he'd gotten the reader's support that he needed, he could have continued and would have continued to perform the job uh, as expected before. The company could have given him that chance. If it didn't work out, they could have fired him. It wouldn't have cost them $100,000. It wouldn't have cost them $40,000. They would have known in a month or two. But they couldn't do that. They wouldn't do that. There are intimations from Mr. Kraut's testimony that he mistrusted, that he mistrusted Mr. Bell's uh, belief as to what would happen, that he was operating, although he denies it, on a three-strike-you're-out principle, and that based on the fact that Mr. Bell's two previous accommodation requests had not worked out, that he did not believe it was worth trying the third. But he never offered or entertained any engagement in a negotiating process, a discussion process. He never offered any possibility of reassignment, even though he has 750 employees, all kinds of jobs, all kinds of professional level people. Never considered that. He was strangely passive in everything except the decision to fire. Even the decision to fire was not based on any assessment of prospective productivity, really, but based solely on, on dollars and cents. I think the facts speak for themselves, Your Honor. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Thank you, Mr. Mendelson. Mr. Prentice? May it please the court, counsel. Members of the jury, you, you've said and patiently, you've patiently waited and listened to the evidence as it has come forward in this case today, and you've heard, you've heard the story from both sides. Now you get to decide what is more believable and what, what, is, really, what is really the truth. Verdict means truth. So you get to determine what the truth is. Now, on one hand, you have Mr. Bell, the plaintiff. He was a good employee. Everyone agrees that he was a good employee for the first few years. Then he had the misfortune of, of losing his vision due to glaucoma. The company followed a family medical leave and gave him time. He went through vocational rehab, received some training, learned how to use adaptive technology. Everyone agrees. He called the company and said, I'm going to need some JAWS and open book and a flatbed scanner. And, and, and the company said, okay. They didn't even think twice. They spent the $5,000, bought that, had it ready for him and installed the day he came back to work. Mr. Bell went to work. He realized almost immediately that he couldn't do everything he could do before. But he waited, and he waited, and he waited until Mr. Blow saw that the work product had gone down 50%. Not 10 or 20, but 50%. This is a man making $200,000 a year up to $250,000 a year. And so he waited until the boss said something. He, he, knew, he knew right away that he needed a reader. But pride got in the way. The pride of Mr. Bell. He didn't want to say he couldn't do it. So when he was approached, first thing, he got a little defensive. He said, well, I need a reader. I can't, I can't do all this. I, I need a reader. So what did Mr. Blow do? He went to the company, and within, within a couple of days, they provided a reader. They provided Tony. Well, there's two problems with that. The biggest one of which was Mr. Bell had a bad attitude. And... 
And he knew he was struggling, and he took it out on Tony. He made sure that that wasn't going to work. He blew it up from the beginning. And he, 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 called, he called Tony names. I mean, how well, how well is anybody going to work for you if you're sitting there calling them a jerk and, and accusing them of doing stuff and not being any good and being too stupid to read? Who's going to be a good reader if you're doing that to him? His attitude, his attitude stunk. And still he waited and until Mr. Blow came back to him again. Well, it doesn't look like productivity's going up, Mr. Bell. He said, well, I need a better reader. Tony's a jerk and he can't read. So it's not, it's not Mr. Bell's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. He said, I, I need a reader that's qualified. I need somebody good. I, I need a graduate student. So Mr. Blow went to Mr. Crot to talk to him about it. And upon discussion, 40 bucks an hour, which would be, which would annualize out to $83,000 of salary plus uh, fringe benefits and everything else, over $100,000 that the company would have to spend for, for diminishing productivity from a guy with a bad attitude. So, so it wasn't very difficult for Mr. Crot to determine, you know, this is, this is not a good investment. You know, Mr. Crot's in charge of trying to get his company to be profitable. It's not profitable now, and it's not getting any better with the poor work and the poor attitude for Mr. Bell. So there was nothing showing that Mr. Bell was willing to really put forth additional effort. He made no offer to help pay for the, the $40 an hour reader. Now, did he have to do that? Absolutely not. But could he have done that if he really wanted to keep his $200,000 a year job? Absolutely, he could have. Then he could have showed his determination to make it work. He didn't really want to make it work. He was still dealing with I, I, I would submit to you, members of the jury, that, that Mr. Bell had not yet accepted the change in his life that he was in the midst of. It had been too early. He probably should have taken a little more time off and gotten a little more adjusted to, to being a, a person who is blind. Nanotechnologies follow the ADA. Requests for reasonable accommodations come from the employee, not from the company. He made requests. They granted request number one. They bought the, they bought the technology. He made request number two, asked for a reader. They got him that. He made request number three, and they said, nope, that's too much. There is no requirement under the ADA. I would submit to you there is absolutely no requirement under the ADA that Reasonable accommodations are a blank check. They are not. And a company cannot put itself in an adverse position or a more difficult position or at an undue hardship, as in this case, just, just to give, give an employee a Cadillac when, when a Pinto will do. <laughs> I would submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that nanotechnologies followed the law and we would ask that you to find in favor of the defendant. Thank you very much. All right. Now it becomes my duty to issue jury instructions, which you will follow in making your decision. First of all, as I said earlier, the comments and arguments of the attorneys are not to, uh, evidence. Secondly, in order to de in, in determining 
which witness is credible, you may use you may consider any thing in reason which would make you believe that their uh, testimony was true. That could include uh, the witness's ability to to recollect, to uh, view what the object about which they're testifying about, or their demeanor. Now, we had a stipulation that uh, Mr. Adams and Mr. Fogel were expert witnesses, and you are to accept that stipulation and not uh, uh, consider whether they had the qualifications or uh, background to give the opinions that they did. However, you are free to disregard either or both expert witnesses' testimony or give them the weight that they're entitled to. Now, under the Americans with Disability Act, a qualified um, disabled person is protected against being discriminated against. And for the purposes of this trial, I'm going to find that Mr. Uh, that the plaintiff <laughs> was a, a qualified injured worker, a qualified disabled worker because his disability impaired his ability to see. And he was a qualified worker because, qualified disabled worker because he had the training and experience to uh, perform the jobs that the impairment that he experienced, disability that he experienced, prevented him from being able to perform the essential tasks required by his job and that the employer therefore had a duty to provide a reasonable accommodation in order for him to perform his job and the termination of his employment was due to his disability. Now the main issue for you to decide is whether the accommodation requested by the plaintiff was reasonable and making that determination you may consider the impact that it would have upon the employer to provide the requested accommodation. The, you may take into consideration the nature of the business, its length of, of uh, being in business, what impact the requested term, uh, accommodation would have that may require it to substantially change its the nature of its business or impose a, a uh, expense which would be excessive. So that's the main issue for you to decide. Um, you will have approximately 15 minutes to make your decision, after which you'll vote by voice, voice vote whether you find that the employer provided the uh, accommodation that was reasonable and whether Mr. Uh, Bell's requests were, uh, would not have, would have required an unreasonable accommodation. Um, and in making that decision, the, you should uh, consider whether the plaintiff's testimony and evidence 
supports a finding that his, uh, the weight of his evidence uh, would re result that the preponderance of the evidence presented at this hearing uh, favored his side. The preponderance of evidence means simply that his, the evidence supporting the plaintiff was over 50% or more than half uh, of the credible evidence presented at the hearing that supports his claim. If you cannot find that, then you should find for the employer. Okay, so you'll have the 15 minutes. You may discuss this amongst yourself. You may ask questions of myself or the attorneys in making your decision, and at the end of 15 minutes or so, I'll ask for your decision by voice, voice vote. I have a question for instruction. Yes, sir. Well, you're supposed to make your decision based on the evidence presented at this hearing. And uh, you can find that the plaintiff or the defendant should have had the obligation of finding the appropriate accommodation. Any other questions? Yes? Yes, ma'am. Well, it would be considered to be an undue hardship it was if the accommodation would require an, ex, an, an, ex, an expense that would create a burden for the employer that was unacceptable uh, or substantially change the nature of the employer's business. Thank you, Your Honor. Your Honor, in having this conversation with fellow jurors and we raise issues that were raised here but which really weren't gone into in the, in the necessary or in the kind of depth that I think really does uh, weigh upon uh, whether the, the plaintiff wins or whether it's, uh, it's the defendant. Uh, and my point is that, and, and Mr. Mendelson raised it, uh, but I don't think he pressed it, um, the issue of the interactive process is key here. Um, had the interactive process been done properly by the company and by HR, uh, the chances are that the cost of the reader would have been significantly lower because the issue of how many hours were necessary would have been raised. The issue of why is the reader being paid as an employee rather than a contractor, in which case there would be no need for benefits. And to me, this case, and I guess I'm saying this as much to the jurors as, as anyone else, this case is contingent on the interactive process and whether the interactive process was actually followed here. Yeah, the plaintiff did 
the plaintiff did uh, request an accommodation, but it was the responsibility of the employer then to say, we need to engage in an interactive process because we, we don't necessarily think that hiring a reader full-time at whatever rate is, is uh, appropriate or necessary. Well, you, you should make your decision based on the evidence and testimony presented during this trial. You need not speculate as to whether the plaintiff or the defendant um, produce the other evidence which you feel is necessary. What did you say, Mr. Uh, Smitch? Well, that's yeah, fine. As I said, you can base your determination on your experience, the testimony presented at the hearing, uh, and uh, the jury instructions that I gave you. Any other questions? As I said, you're to make a determination of the credibility of the witnesses and the, um, and the evidence and testimony presented at the hearing. There was no tender of written documents at the hearing. So as I told Mr. Pomerantz, you make a decision based on what was produced. Any other questions? As I said earlier, you're to make your decision based on the evidence and testimony presented at the hearing, and uh, you can bring your own experience and knowledge into your decision making. Uh, but uh, that. Well, as in, in any, any uh, trial, the person asking for relief has a burden of proving. In this case, a, by a preponderance of the evidence, whether their requests comply to the law applicable. So in this case, it would be the plaintiff who has a burden of proving that they are entitled to the accommodation. No, 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 no. You're to make a decision. <laughs> well, whatever. All right, so any other questions? Yes. Yes, ma'am.
terms of equipment that would really be necessary for the plaintiff to continue doing his job without having any access to kind of material that Mr. Bell is having to deal with every day on the job. Well, I think the evidence would support that finding. Any other questions? Call the question. <laughs> <laughs> no more questions. Get well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, yeah, we have a few more minutes. Are there any other questions despite Mr. Bell's impatience? Please, please disregard my client's outburst. <laughs> please disregard my client's outburst. Well, you're free to discuss it amongst yourselves, as I said earlier. And then in a few minutes, I'll ask for your decision by vo voice vote. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> no, you don't have to. You can, you're free to discuss it. I think Mr. Pomerantz gave you his opinion. Does anyone else uh, like to express an opinion before the decision is called for? Or, you know, go ahead. Yeah, get closer together. Do a group hug. Five more minutes before I ask for the voice vote. Five more minutes. Well, I'm sorry. I've worked in HR for 20 years, and I, and I advise the on the ADA. Well, let's, let's hear what you got to say. All right. 
I did. That's right. I, I think that I think. Well, let's repeat it for people who did. Right. Now, I worked. I worked in HR for 20 years. I investigated discrimination complaints, and I now advise attorneys on the ADA who don't know the ADA. My belief is that that this is predicated on the fact that the company, once they were asked to provide a reasonable accommodation, rather than immediately granting it which they didn't need to at that point, should have participated, should have said, we have a responsibility, we are going to enter into the interactive process under the ADA, and that would have, that would have allowed a negotiation, that would have allowed, for example, to, to drill down and determine that Mr. Bell didn't need 40 hours a week, probably needed maybe uh, two to four hours a day to read to get the, those, those parts read that they couldn't, that the equipment wouldn't read. And in fact, we also determined that he didn't need, um, he wouldn't need to pay a reader, or the company wouldn't need to pay a reader uh, a, a great benefit. Right. You could hire, I, I hired readers for 30 years. Yeah. Uh, the city of LA paid for them, and they were all under contract. And by the way, I chose my reader. Yep. Yes. The, the, uh, exactly. the, the company yeah. didn't choose the reader. Yeah. So, and also, the company could have gotten some sort of a, you know, rehab person or expert or something. I worked at rehab. Find out oh, what. Right. So right. I right. talked right. to you about that part. You know, what I'm talking about is rehab. I'm just one of the soldiers. I asked that woman who told me what rehab was in South Carolina. You have a little expertise in this place. I did understand that. Whenever they did this AT assessment, they should have been actually you, man, what's your name? Uh, Joe, Joe actually brought it up. Uh -huh. um, there should have been more involvement with the AT consultant, the employment consultant, the VR counselor involved to determine what the actual job responsibilities were. Exactly. $25,000 or whatever this equipment was. There should have been an assessment of him actually doing his job yeah. and, and identifying what the technology yeah. needed for that specific work criteria. All right, all right. So we're going to ask for the voice vote now. The um, as I said earlier, you're supposed to base your de decision on the evidence and testimony presented at the hearing. Uh, we've had a lot of comments about what should have been and what may have been and what could have been. But based on the evidence presented at the hearing testimony and your assessment of that evidence, who, may, who decides in favor of the plaintiff by voice vote? Okay. And who decides uh, that the defendant was not required to uh, or did fulfill its obligation to pr provide a reasonable accommodation. Okay, so that's pretty split. No, I think it's pretty split. And the purpose of this, um, of this exercise was to provide you with an opportunity to hear uh, a trial as best we could of the, uh, involving the accommodations to be provided a qualified disabled worker. And if we, if the uh, parties did not provide the evidence uh, that you felt was sufficient, then that's the way it is. Um, and if I made errors in my rulings, then that's 
the way it is. But your decision, your decision, your decision should be based on the testimony and evidence presented at the trial. No, it, we set. No, we let's let's wrap this up. Yeah, well, let's do a count. Let's do a count. Dave, can you count all those who find for the plaintiff? Please raise your hand. All right, now all those who find that defendants are not liable or did not violate the Americans with Disability Act, please raise your right hand or left hand, whichever. <laughs> well, you know, I, <laughs> so in, 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 under normal circumstances, would, that would not constitute a sufficient vote for the plaintiff, as uh, in civil cases generally, they require uh, nine votes out of 12. So, sure. It was a result of a group effort um, going over various scenarios and deciding on which one was appropriate. But it's not related to any case. All right. Okay. <laughs> no, that's what I was trying to say earlier. Mitch thinks that's a good price. <laughs> All right. So thank you for your patience, and we're adjourned. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate your deliberation. Yes, thank you all for your help. And your patience. For what? Hey, uh, Steve. Oh, Steve Mendelson. Mendelson. Steve. Are there are there a continuing education for this? Steve. Yeah. Well, you could consult the uh, Janet and see what these are. Mine. I, I was administrative law judge. Hey, pe hey people, people. How are you? Hi, what's your name? Oh, glad to meet you. Well, should uh, give huh? their uh, email address to Dave Adams here. That's all you can ask, or, right? Or, and we'll get them for you. But I'm trying to move it along too. So yeah, we do. You know, we all make mistakes.
Anybody here who wants to get education credits, CEUs, for this program should make that fact known uh, to Dave Adams here. Uh, uh, Dave, did you tell people your email address? Or, or to me, uh, smendel at panics.com. T- and uh, we'll see to it that that information gets to Dave. Dave is dadams446 at comcast.net. Continuing education, not CLE, but CE or CEUs. <laughs> 